This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, a show all about personal finance. And I'm Philip C. As we approach the end of 2023, it's perfect timing to reflect on our financial journey so far and to also strategically plan for the upcoming year. Today, joining me to discuss what financial resolutions, financial goals to set for the coming year is Rajan Devadasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Securities Commission Licensed Financial Planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia Burhat. Welcome, Rajan. In 2023, right, what were the biggest themes and key lessons from this year that had a notable impact on personal finance throughout the year? Thank you, Phil. Um, I'm, I'm really honored to be back on again. I think if we're talking about this year, particularly within the the context of you know trying to get some kind of clarity moving forward, uh, in my opinion, I think it actually makes sense to first focus on you know a, a series of thrusts. I think looking at eternal principles, looking at long-term investment strategies, and short-term liquidity-based tactics. Uh, as I try to make an intelligent guesstimate of what next year, let's say, may have in store for us, I think it makes sense to actually glance back to 2022 and then also uh, to consider everything that's happened up to this point. And we're almost at the end of the year. Mm. So, you know, it's a very short period. We're looking at 2022 and most of 2023. And in that very short period, I think we've seen four major developments unfold that have changed life on earth for most of us. We're going to get time context, right? First, uh, 2022, there was a, a waning of COVID's, shall we say, deadly grip upon Earth's economy. And now, with the benefit of hindsight, it seems as though the perceived cure was worse than the disease. I mean, you know, Phil, think about it. The shutdown of the global economy and the closure of borders caused immense permanent damage to people, to businesses, and to entire nations. So we've got to deal with um, the after effects of COVID. But since we're only looking back to 2022, COVID's effects started to ease. Mm. Then in early 2022, I think it was February 2022, Vladimir Putin's, I, I think, evil declaration of war against Ukraine initially choked off about one-fifth, about 20% of global wheat supplies. Now, that actually triggered planet-wide food inflation across the board. And what's really strange, I think, uh, and this is the third development, is that the specific food inflation that we saw in early 2022 very quickly spread beyond the food sector and caused widespread comprehensive inflation everywhere. And, you know, even though we saw that phenomenon of rising inflation, I must point out it wasn't hyperinflation. It was just high inflation. So countries were dealing with inflation in the 8%, 9%, 10%, 12%, 15% range. When we talk, and that's per year, but when we talk about hyperinflation, which is not something that we saw, uh, we're really talking about maybe 50% per month. So that's not what we had. We just had high inflation. But I actually believe that even though it was something that we saw as a result of what Putin did starting in February 2022, the true cause of that inflation was, I think, the money supply expansion that was initiated from our perspective now about 15 years before. Back in 2008, when the central banks were trying to deal with the GFC, global financial crisis, and they did so using QE. You may remember the term, QE, quantitative easing. It basically expanded the global money supply. And then when the WHO declared COVID a pandemic, 
global pandemic on March 11, 2020. And then a week later, on March 18th, Malaysia's borders were closed. Basically, that was a period of massive flux worldwide. And central bankers went back to their toolbox and they figured, ah, GFC printing money worked, so they printed even more money. So the money supply just totally blew up. And now I think as we consider what's been going on uh, more recently, the expansion of the money supply drove up inflation and central bankers had no choice but to do the exact reverse. And that was to, you know, to to use a, a fun, a very Malaysian term, to go stand by it. The, the reverse actions of QE were, or, or, or to deal with QE are, are known as QE. QT or quantitative tightening. And so around the world, central banks raise their interest rates to try and baffle on uh, inflation. It, it's so interesting that, you, you know, when you talk about 2022, 2023, we're dealing with the after effects of COVID. You talk about the war creating inflation, this whole flux in money supply. And then now this whole Gostan reversal back by governments, right, to try and retreat back. This volatility must have created a lot of headache, especially in 2022, 2023, for people to actually plan out their finances. Absolutely. No, you are not understating the issue. I personally think that the the period of QT is nearer its end than it is to the beginning. The, the timing is actually incredible. Putin attacked Ukraine and slashed global wheat supplies in February 2022. By March 2022, inflation rates started to fly. And in the intervening period between March 2022 and now, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by more than 500 basis points. And the whole purpose is to wring out as much inflation as possible. So we are fairly close to the end. Now, now, if you think about it, if inflation has finally been wrung out of the system by sometime next year, and if the medicine to deal with high inflation is for central bankers to raise interest rates, then obviously, once they stop raising interest rates, only two things can happen, Phil. Interest rates will flatten, and then at some stage, they will fall. And as I'm sure you know, low interest rates are generally better than high interest rates for most drivers of, of business expansion and consumer spending. Now, when interest rates start to flatten out sooner rather than later, and then when they start to come down again, technically, one would expect both global equities and fixed income markets to rise and to rise very healthily. Now, that means that you and I, as we hope to grow richer in, in the coming year, it probably makes sense for us to figure out, well, okay, am I investing permanently? Am I investing for the long term? Am I saving and investing for the short term? So, so in my opinion, regardless of the duration of the goals we focus on for ourselves, for our families, for our businesses, I really, really believe that we need to begin by laying a foundation of prudence by setting our financial house in order. What's really weird, in an environment where interest rates may actually be flat or start to come down, the advice I'm going to give is actually counterintuitive in an environment of falling interest rates. But I stand by this advice. And those two pieces of advice are, number one, pay down and focus on paying off our debts. And secondly, rebuild our liquid cash reserves. Now, the reason that most people will actually resist taking those two steps when interest rates start to fall is because, Phil, as you well know, when interest rates come down, the cost of borrowing will also fall in an environment of monetary easing. And a lot of these individuals will be, will be tempted to you know, borrow more, not less, and to spend more instead of saving more. But I, I really stand by my, by my advice for, for two clear reasons. 
reasons. Number one, when we reduce our debt, we strengthen our financial standing and we also enhance our capacity to take advantage of future opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And number two, when our cash savings rise, we actually grow better able to deal, uh, number one, with financial emergencies. And, and number two, perhaps when it's appropriate to invest aggressively to take advantage of what I think is likely to be burgeoning equity markets, investment real estate markets, bond markets, preferred securities markets. And this is specifically looking into 2024. If interest rates come down, you must understand that when it comes to the fixed income market and fixed income market, market typically uh, comprises two major parts, the bond side and the preferred security side. Fixed income instruments in general move inversely to interest rates. So from March 2022, when the Fed was raising interest rates and the rest of the, almost all of the rest of the world, maybe with the exception of China and Japan, most of the rest of the world, including definitely Malaysia, Singapore, Australia, the UK, the European Central Bank, raised interest rates, perhaps not as aggressively as the US, but rates went up. And with the interest rates rising, fixed income came down, equities also came under real stress, investment real estate also fell. Mm. Now, that was the reaction to QT, quantitative tightening, interest rates rising. Now, when interest rates start to come down again, which is what I anticipate happening at some stage in 2024, then it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, well, then technically speaking, equities should rise, investment real estate will gradually begin to recover because the cost of borrowings will come down and bonds and preferreds will rise as well. Now, I think both the World Bank and the IMF have actually predicted not widespread recession for next year, but actually 2024's GWP, which is the aggregation of all national GDP. So GWP stands for Gross World Product, which adds up all the national gross domestic product. I believe for the world as well as for Malaysia, 2024's growth rate may actually be lower than what we've seen this year, but still not a recession. And it may actually be setting the stage for a real mega recovery later in 2024 and well into 2025. So if that happens, then I think uh, if you want to get a head start, then uh, investing in commodities as well would actually be quite wise, particularly because commodity prices are somewhat suppressed right now. And we need to, to remember that commodities represent the stuff of life. Utilization of commodities is what the human race has built our entire civilization on. I've been speaking to Rajan Devadasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Securities Commission Licensed Financial Planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia Bharat on financial goals for the new year. We'll be taking a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Philip C. Today we're discussing how you plan your finances for the new year. Joining me to discuss, to discuss this is Rajan Devadasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Securities Commission Licensed Financial Planner, Manulife Investment Management Malaysia Parhat. Now, Rajan, we earlier discussed about the importance of paying down your debt and building that liquid cash reserve, and it really essentially is to create that personal fiscal space. So what are the principles in which one should adopt to create that fiscal space? I believe that for those who have already been exercising financial prudence, uh, say over the last several tough years, and those who have actually been able to already accumulate deep pools of excess liquidity, excess cash, then my recommendation 
uh, is to set aside between three and 12 months of normal expenses in cash, which means bank savings account, bank fixed deposits, and pure money market funds. And, and the purpose of setting up this cushion account or this reserve account, and I generally use the term EBF. By EBF, I mean emergency buffer fund. Now, the purpose of our EBF is actually twofold. One is to provide financial stability in a very, very volatile world. And number two, to inject emotional stability into our strained psyches. Uh, you look all around us, you look at the, the terrible, terrible turmoil in the Middle East. Um, you look at what's going on and the fact that the West's attention is uh, being diverted away from Ukraine, which means that, you know, even though I, I think what Putin has done is, is gravely wrong, whatever we see suggests that Earth's worsening geopolitical turmoil, both internal, external, is just going to get very, very bad. And therefore, having the EBF makes sense. Um, however, you don't don't want to set aside too much money for your EBF. Now, remember, uh, Phil, I mentioned, I think it makes sense to set up an EBF of between three and 12 months expenses. Okay, so the, the reason I said three to 12 months is because generally speaking, for people who are conventional employees, I would recommend having an EBF of, of between three and six months expenses. And for those who are in business, um, for ourselves, uh, then for us, I think we should have an emergency buffer of between six and 12 months expenses. But beyond Beyond that three to 12 months range of pure cash, not borrowings, mind you, real cash sitting in savings accounts, sitting in FD accounts, sitting in a pure money market fund. But beyond that, I recommend it makes sense to actually courageously invest. And I think people should invest with two distinct and yet incredibly complementary goals in mind. Number one, to try to generate long-term capital gains to beat inflation over the coming several decades. Even though my belief is that the central bank's battle against high inflation will be won by September next year, and that's just my personal guesstimate. Even if we get inflation back down to the more normal 2%, 3%, 4% per year, that steady, inexorable erosion of purchasing power makes all of us poorer. And it's very important to not just save your money, because even though savings will grant you great liquidity, you do need to invest. And that means you need to take some level of investment risk in an attempt to try and grow your future ability to have your money balloon faster than inflation hurts it. So that's number one. The two distinct complementary goals are number one, to generate long-term capital gains to try and beat inflation over several decades, and to create current streams of passive income to boost our near-term financial strength. There's a fun formula that I have been teaching my clients reiterate this very important formula, which I think, Phil, you may find quite useful. It's incredibly easy to remember if you just use a simple mnemonic tap, but the key letters are T-A-P. And the formula is this, T-I equals A-I plus P-I. Phil, do you want to hazard a guess as to what the three quantities represent? I presume T equals total return. Very good. Very good. <laughs> well done. So TI stands for total income. So total income equals AI plus PI. Any idea? I presume one is active and another one is passive. Perfect. Very good. Yes. Total <laughs> income. This is not rocket science. I'm just chunking things out so people can stop yeah. and think about it. Total income equals active income plus passive income. And so when we work on the second goal to create streams of passive income, 
We are boosting our near-term financial strength because even as we continue to work and bring in active income, we're also focusing on growing our passive income. I think it's so interesting, though, that you say total income equals active income and passive income. It, plus passive income. Plus yes. passive income. It's so intuitive. In my mind, I guess the question in my mind is, does, is there an allocation difference depending on your risk profile? Think about how much do you allocate towards active and passive? Uh, no, not really, because you see that the TI equals AI plus PI is a formula that applies to everyone. But most of us, when we are working, the bulk of our money comes in from AI. So it's not an allocation issue. The bottom line to generate AI, to generate active income, AI in this context is active yeah. income. In yeah. this context, I'm not talking about artificial intelligence and I'm not talking about alternative investment. I'm talking about right. active income. income. And, and how do we grow our active income? We do that by working harder yes. and by working longer. Mm. So the, the within my holistic financial planning practice, the area of specialty is actually retirement planning. And one of the one of the shocking things is that the biggest risk people face worldwide when it comes to retirement planning is something called longevity risk. Longevity risk. Living too long, outliving your money. Well, I think I think you make a very interesting point that actually, you know, we of course strive to work hard and deliver high AI active income. But the central debate is the budgeting side, right? How much of that percentage of that AI do you allocate for the PI? Uh, because that's the tensions that usually come about, right? That, that is a very good question. Plan yeah. for the year ahead. You know, we have our lifestyle requirements and all that. And that's the biggest issue, isn't it? That the PI then fundamentally reduces a lot because we don't budget well. Well, no. You see, if you if you do the best that you can, and you set aside savings and investments that churn out passive income, even as you're still working, as long as you continue to budget well and you try your level best to spend less than you earn and to save and invest the difference, even if the amount that you set aside on a month-to-month -month basis that goes specifically toward PI fluctuates, what you have set aside in the past is already there. And if you don't raid the larder, so to speak, if you let it stay, then it'll gradually grow. I mean, the compounding initially will be very, very, very slow. But you know, one of the best things that many Malaysians have is EPF. I remember years ago when I first came back from England and I, I started getting jobs in Malaysia, I remember looking at my EPF statement every year when it came. In those days, there was no online access. So you'd wait for your physical statement to be sent to you once a year. And I remember thinking in the first year, oh, okay, a little bit of money is there. And the second year, oh, a bit more. By about the fourth year, I was thinking, my goodness, the dividend that I'm earning from the money that's already gone in is a sizable fraction of what I'm actually earning each year. Uh, I didn't earn very much back then. But um, the, the compounding effect works. So to answer your question, the need to set a budget is very, very important. And all of us, I think, need to do the very, very best that we can. I was chatting with a friend of mine who has got several young children. I chatted with him yesterday. And I know that he's got a heart of gold and he's actually involved in initiatives. I live in Stramban, by the way. He's involved in initiatives to try and provide food for poor families across all demographics, all ethnicities. And so I was telling him, look, but how's your family and how is your... And I was asking him, how is your income? And he said, okay. He says he's actually working three jobs right now. And I said, okay. But the point is that he understands. For many, many people, it's, um, it's tough. But I think if we choose to be tougher on ourselves than on others, 
we have the ability to actually turn things around at the end of 2023 and just make sure 2024 is even better. As tumultuous as 2023 has been and is, as much as we hope 2024 will be better, I guarantee you 2024 will have more than its fair share of good times and unfortunately sad times as well. So for each of us in this very clearly tumultuous period of history, the most important thing, the activity that generates the highest ROI is to invest in ourselves. We need to invest in knowledge. We need to intentionally ramp up personal financial literacy. If you think about it, it's the ultimate defensive vaccine against Earth's rising tsunami of financial scams. It's 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 bad. It's getting worse. I, I have stopped answering calls on my mobile phone from unidentified mobile numbers. I just don't have time. And that probably means that I'm also losing out on genuine queries. But it's these scammers. I, I, I really think that the book should be thrown at them and the, the the gravest forms of punishment. When many of us do financial planning, we get so caught up with the noise about what are the trends taking place this year, next year. Yep. We need to shift our portfolio so much. But when I hear you right, you really are asking us to really be anchored on very clear principles for us to last, stand the test of time fundamentally, isn't it? When you say yes. to be fundamentally pay out our debt, to basically rebuild our liquid cash reserves, right? To think and have a clear trajectory about what your reality, your expectations are and what you really need in the short-term, mid-term and long-term, right? Spot on. But the the additional, that one additional thing, which I think is more time sensitive is this. Even as we pay down our debts, even as we build up liquidity Mm -hmm. and we use that liquidity to first build an appropriately sized emergency buffer, then we still need to take advantage of where we are in this slice of history, in this slice of time. And interest rates are going to be coming down and equity markets are going to fly, bond markets are going to fly, preferred securities will fly bit of a delay and then commodities will fly. We want to position ourselves so that we take advantage of those trends as well. But I do believe, and you are accurate in saying this, I do believe it's more important to be anchored on eternal principles before we start chasing near uh, the, the latest fad. That's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Rajan Davidasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Securities Commission Licensed Financial Planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia Burhat. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Philip C., BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.